Okay, so we're here today to talk about a book that's a work in progress, right, Conrad? It's Decisive Moments, Torgadal and the Evolution of Global Health. Tell us about the book. Well, I couldn't be writing a book about global health at a better time than now. Uh, Tore is a Norwegian. He's 80 years of age, and he's a physician and an immunologist. And what I wanted to do for my audience, for the, for the readership, was to take them through decisive moments in global health. And it's not a traditional biography, as I, I've written these before, where you have a chronological linear line with the life. So I'm just writing a book now where it happens that Torrey's work as an immunologist, as a politician of global health, and those decisive moments interweave together. But he's the glue holding the book together, and then I go into the social history of these various different decisive moments. Gotcha. He's a very interesting guy, isn't he? I mean, I'd heard of him, obviously, and I looked him up for our talk, talk today. So yeah. give us a bit about him then, because he was obviously very passionate, wasn't he, in many ways, about global health issues? Tremendously. Um, he was born in 1939. His father was a, a vicar, a Lutheran churchman in Norway, in uh, an area of Telemark. And his father actually uh, worked against the Germans during the Second World War. Um, Torre trained to be a doctor and saw that he, what he wanted to do was to be a general medical officer in one of these beautiful valleys in the west of, of Norway, near the town of Bergen. But he went to medical school, and there he became in love with immunology. And he studied leprosy, uh, which is a disease associated with Norway. Um, it was indigenous in Norway, leprosy. And then in 1970, an institution was set up in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, which is called the Arma Hansen Institute for Research into Leprosy. And Torre went there as its first director in 1970 as a qualified doctor, and he worked. Leprosy was really his entree into tropical diseases. And what Torre wanted to do, and what he found in Ethiopia, was that these diseases, often parasitic diseases, but leprosy is a bacterial yep. disease, was keeping people and countries in poverty. And this was the start of his great campaign to try and rid the diseases from people and free them so they could create their own wealth and progress in the same way that Norway had done from being a very poor country to being today the richest yeah. country in the world. Yeah, the Norwegian connection is another key aspect, isn't it, in a sense? You know, and Tell us a little bit about that. They, that, that country seems to have got its act together with it, regard to global health. Indeed it, it has. Um, in Tories, one of his uh, uh, college friends was Gro Harlem Brundtland. Um, she was the first Prime Minister of Norway. And in 1998, on Tories' advice, he was a campaign manager, she became the Director General of WHO, the World Health Organization. And what Brundtland did, she brought in a caucus of Norwegians. Um, they'd already been spending and trying to work in global health. And Jens Stoltenberg, who later went on to be Prime Minister and succeeded her, Jonas Storey, and Tore Godal, when they were in power, they decided they wanted to try and change the world in which we live in. And the two things they went after was malaria, the infectious disease, which has been the great scourge of humanity. And they started a program called Roll Back Malaria. And Tory was the first director of that program. And the other thing they looked at, which is something we're both interested in, 
was tobacco. They wanted to, uh, so that's uh, the diseases, mm. non-infectious diseases, because one of the things we're seeing in the low and middle income countries is that not only have they, do they have these infectious diseases like malaria, yellow fever, cholera, diseases that used to be endemic in our countries or in Europe or in the industrial north, in the developed economies, but also a growing sense that non-communicable diseases are becoming much more apart. So Norway, at the turn of the millennium, really began to lead in this way. So big push on malaria, with Tory in the forefront of that, non-communicable diseases, and also interested in Millennium Development Goals, particularly to do with the health of mothers and children. If you look after the health of a mother, the child will be fine. Right. Anything happens to the mother, very difficult for children yeah. to survive. They're very pragmatic, the Norwegians, are they, in a sense? Kind of, obviously, they chose things where they could really make a difference, I guess. Wasn't that part Indeed, of the story as well? Yeah. Uh, one of the things in global health today that you need to do, you need to be able to have a budget, but then you also want to be able to see, is this cost effective? And can we measure the effect of this? So this is a big part of global health and certainly something that Torre was involved mm. with. And the Norwegians lead the way and they are the richest country in the world today. So yep. they have a huge budget. Sure. And I read somewhere he, he's responsible for like 750 million people being alive in a way because his, his initiatives and his passion made sure of vaccination programs and so on. It's a great claim to fame, that isn't it, many it, ways? It's yeah. a huge claim to fame. And I think one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book was that people don't know about Tory Godal. Godal's whole thing is that if you want to achieve anything of note in global health, then you must take a back seat. He always wanted to let other people have the limelight. What he wanted to do was to make sure that policies were implemented, that vaccines were funded, and that um, countries were helped. So he, he's not somebody, he's a sort of the eminence mm. grieves of global health, but he is the glue that holds my book together. Sure, yeah, that's a great topic to pick, let's face it, because I'd heard of him vaguely, but didn't know much about him. Now, yeah. now I know a lot more, of course. Yeah. But the book is about decisive moments, and not, yeah. it's not just about him, obviously, and then we might talk about a couple of others, will we? And um, Bill Campbell Bill is the Cam other one, isn't it? So tell we, us a bit about him. We must talk about Trinity Science. Uh, the decisive moment that I kind of opened a book with is about the drug ivermectin, which Bill Campbell, he's, I think, Trinity's only living Nobel Prize winner. Yep. Um, Bill Campbell worked at Merck in the United States of America. And uh, Merck made a fortune from a, a drug that uh, Bill discovered using empirical methods, the old screening methods. And this drug was for heartworm in dogs. And I went to see Bill in 2016, the year after he got his Nobel Prize. And we were talking about this tremendous turning point, really, in history. And what Bill's trick was, he looked at the drug that he had invented for use in, uh, in dogs, and he saw that with a small chemical change, this drug might be effective in a disease called river blindness. River blindness is a dreadful disease that affected large parts of Africa, and it was caused by the vector, the black fly, the vector bit people. It's called river blindness. It's, its real name is uh, onchocerciasis because these flies like to be around fast-flowing rivers. They would bite people. The parasite goes in, and then the parasite creates 
a male and a female worm within people. You can see these worms actually crawling around people. But it's the, what they produce that gets into the eyes of people and causes this blindness. And Bill's drug was then changed and people saw that it was tremendously effective. The problem for Merck at the time, they now had a drug that would cure river blindness, but the people who had river blindness could not afford to buy the drug. So the decisive moment that Tory was involved with, he was then uh, part of WHO in an organisation called TDR, which was the scientific training for people working in tropical diseases. And he was in the office of Roy Vagelos, the CEO, a physician himself, um, when Roy Vagelos made this extraordinary decision that if people couldn't afford a drug, they would give it away free. And it was the first time that a drug was donated by a pharma, pharma company for people. So it was a decisive moment. And since then, this is in 1986, over the coming 20 years, we've seen more and more pharma pharmacological companies giving away free drugs for the treatment of things like schistosomiasis, um, African sleeping sickness, leishmaniasis, all of these diseases that can be eradicated through the goodwill mm. of these pharmacological companies. And you can track that story, can you, from Tor to Vangelos and then beyond, can't you? Because then Vangelos began talking to other pharma executives and so on, and suddenly this head of steam builds up, doesn't it? It does. And, and, the, and as you say, the tremendous output is uh, making drugs available to developing countries who couldn't otherwise afford it, really, isn't it? Exactly. So that was a decisive moment. And when I went to see Bill, it was uh, wonderful. He told me that the year before I'd seen him, he'd been to see... President Obama to receive, I think, the uh, Medal of Honor. And uh, Obama realized that the drug had been invented originally for heartworm. And he'd had this small heartworm knitted, yeah. and he gave it to Bill, and Bill showed it to me, and he was very proud of it. So I think we can all be proud of yeah. Trinity Science. And well, again, an unsung hero, because very few people have heard of Bill Campbell, really, you know, haven't they, in a sense? And obviously, if you're in Trinity, you might have come across it. But in general terms, people in the street don't realize. And he does deserve credit, doesn't he, as he, well? He does. And because, he did, again, something like two million people haven't gone blind because of Bill Campbell. And obviously, you know, the various efforts that were made by Merck and so on. But it's a great, another great story, isn't it, of an unsung hero. And as you say, a decisive moment in, in that office of Vangelos when, when the case was made to support the programme. And what it showed was that if people didn't have this blinding disease, they could look after themselves. They wouldn't need help. So this is another part of... What Tory Goodall believes that these diseases cause poverty. And there was a general movement, there's a very famous report by the World Bank in 1993 called Investing in Health. And health began to be seen as an investment, not a cost. And we have other organizations coming in, the growth in NGOs during this period. And of course, something that's always been there, which I wanted to write about, was philanthropy. Yeah. And Torre Godal, um, in 1999, he was 60 years of age. He was feeling depressed. He had to retire from WHO. He'd had a, a tremendous career, but he found himself in IKEA, which is, uh, and he was going to buy himself some office furniture to set up a, um, a consultancy. Right. And he got a, a telephone call from Tim Evans at the World Bank. Telium said, Tori, there's a new kid on the block. 
He wants to enter into philanthropy in the American way of the Rockefeller Carnegie, um, but he doesn't know how to do it. And what I'd like you to do is come and talk about your favourite subject of vaccines to him. And this is a a very famous meeting that Tory had with a young Bill Gates. Now, there's a new kid on the block. New kid kid on the block. Bill Gates you're talking about there. (laughs) And um, Bill Gates likes to play golf. And Tory was asked to write five pages for him, something persuasive and memorable about the value of vaccines. He did that, and Gates wrote him a check for $750 million. Not bad. And not bad. And when he was writing it, he looked at Tory and he says, Tory, my hand is shaking. Uh, but this was the start of the uh, GAVI, yeah. the uh, Global Alliance for Vaccination and Inoculation. Um, it's been a tremendous success. Bill Gates said it was the best investment he ever made. And two of the things we've seen in the diseases that Tory has been directly involved in, in malaria on the one hand and um, vaccines on the other, is that Malaria deaths have halved this century from over a million a year to 420,000. And we've seen a 50% reduction in deaths of under fives. And this is a vaccine story. And this is something that has really contributed to giving people a healthy start in life. If, if you can keep them healthy, people healthy in the first few years, then. Absolutely, yeah. And no. you reckon Tor was extremely important in, in getting Gates engaged, was he, in a sense? He, and, and certainly Gates was obviously heading in that direction. But, oh, but Tor's input was really critical there, was it? Absolutely yeah. critical. And one of the things in 2007, Bill Gates said he wanted to er- eradicate malaria. Now, it had been tried before unsuccessfully. And one of the things, I think people think that the Gates Foundation likes high-tech things. Um, but one of the things that Tory was involved with was uh, a randomised controlled trial of bed nets. And these bed nets, insecticide-treated bed nets, um, Tory um, paid for a huge randomised controlled trial. Um, there had been randomised controlled trials before showing the benefit of bed nets, but it was equivocal. People weren't really sure. And so Tory paid for uh, four studies mm. in Ghana, uh, Burkina Faso, Tanzania and another country and this was the uh, the evidence that people really believed and in 2000 uh, a fund was established called a global fund for drugs for and vaccines for against TB AIDS and malaria mm-hmm. and this fund has been used to buy bed nets and the use of these bed nets has definitely helped um, and the, the severe levels of mortality and morbidity yeah, yeah. from that. And, and it's getting well known that, that the nets are making a difference. And it goes back to our friend again, doesn't it, the way you're saying? Because he, he was the guy who said, look, let's do a proper trial here and prove that these bed nets are going to work. So it's a great story as well, isn't it? It's an absolutely brilliant story. This is something that works. And he'd been uh, the director of Rollback Malaria. So people wanted to go into malaria again in the way they didn't in the 1950s and 60s yeah. after the failure of the eradication program. Did he know how to, how to make the case, kind of sense? I mean, someone like Gates wants to know, is this going to work? If I give a lot of money to you, will you actually make sure that this works? And, and he knew, didn't he? He said, I can do certain things, you know? I imagine he was very realistic in a sense, wasn't he? Like a vaccine is still tricky for malaria. There are ones, as we were discussing. But this simple thing of bed nets, and he said, I'm going to prove that now, and that'll make all the difference in a sense. Exactly. And I think... 
you need proof that's equivocal. Uh, that's unequivocal. unequivocal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a clear, uh, clear evidence that this is working. Clear evidence. Fantastic. And today, Gates, I think the budget of the Gates Foundation is bigger than WHO. Yeah, yeah. They've poured billions into polio vaccine. There's a chance that polio could be eradicated. Yeah. Generally, we're bad at eradicating diseases. It's happened with smallpox. But I think what Tory wanted to show the world that some of these diseases, we used to have them and that they can be eradicated. Cholera can be eradicated in these very poor countries. But you need science, you need development, and you need to attack it on different fronts. And one of the things we have seen in global health has been the growth of these public-private institutions. Yeah, and, and that combination is, is... It's a complex problem, right? So you need many parties coming to the table, don't yeah. you, to convince... It's just like people. in Ireland, if, we, if you were the Minister of State for Health, you'd say... What can we afford? What's yeah. worth doing? How can we spend our money in the best possible way? Exactly. And the prediction is, kind of discussed earlier, if you just improve people's basic health, it's obvious in a way, as you said, the word investment then began to be used. Those people are able to live a fuller life, which is fantastic, but also help their countries and help economic activity and all kinds of knock-on. And staying in education, of course, is another thing, because a lot of dropout was happening because of illness, wasn't it? So yeah. suddenly you can see all these knock-on effects as opposed to just keeping people healthy. Health is wealth. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's exactly what it is in many ways. Now, now, what about Ebola and other diseases that are worrying people? Because, again, there's a connection there, isn't there? Indeed. Um, when Ebola, the outbreak, happened in the autumn of 2013, there was a fear in the global health community that it was going to, this is in West Africa, in three of the poorest countries in the world, that it was going to break out of there and it was going to be a, a national pandemic. And... Um, Tory was in conversations with Jeremy Farrer, who's the director of the Wellcome Trust, um, the biggest medical charity in Europe, and uh, Stanley Plotkin, who's a very famous uh, vaccine researcher, and Adele Mahmoud, who at the time, Adele had worked with Ken Warren at the Rockefeller Foundation in the 60s and 70s, who was then at, at Merck, and they wanted to try and see if they could go into this area where the outbreak was and carry out randomised controlled trials of potential vaccine treatments. Um, the treatment that Tory was interested in was this um, vaccine that had an Ebola outer casing on it that didn't need two injections, just one injection. It's very difficult to get to see people mm. twice in an area where there's a, an outbreak of disease. And this was the trial that he funded with funds from the Norwegian government. This was the Merck vaccine that worked. And this was, the, uh, this was in the summer of 2015. And then these men, particularly Jeremy Farah, Tori Godal and Mahmoud, they decided that what they needed to do was to get together and try and fund some organisation that could step in when there was another outbreak. And this was what was funded and founded in 2017. This is CEPI, yeah. the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness and Innovation, something that people have been reading about a lot over the Wuhan coronavirus. Um, and that's something that you know more about than me. And CEPI, of course, has paid for some of the research. And you were telling me this morning that they've actually 
Yeah, they're, they're getting close to a vaccine already, which is incredible, isn't it? And CEPI are very much part of that, of course. You know, and that's that, that's the public-private thing again, is it? Kind of sense because you're saying the Norwegian government got involved, didn't they, as well? You know, and it's that great combination that makes it makes it likely to succeed, I guess. And and there's a real fear of new viruses, is there? Kind of out there, remember, as we were discussing, and and we need a CEPI, don't we, to to get ready for this because there, there will be other ones coming down the track, and the current. COVID-19 is the latest yeah. to join this rogues gallery in many ways, isn't it? New pathogens are occurring all of the time. Maybe the next pathogen will be man-made. People are worried about that. You never know. <laughs> Great conspiracy theory. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> let's uh, hope not, but you never know. Yeah, no, I mean, there's you never there's know. many unknowns in this, uh, in this business, let's face it. And, and the COVID-19 story tells us that, doesn't it, many ways? Mm. Let me ask you one other question. What, what do you hope to achieve from this? I mean, clearly you want to raise awareness. But it's also about inspiring people, as a kind of sense, to get into this kind of global health area and to see there can be these decisive moments that can make a big difference. So it always, to me, struck me for years as a very difficult problem, malaria, TB, even Ebola was terrifying. And yet, because of people like Tori, you can say, right, this can be done, and here's a, a moment that can actually change the whole course of these things. Yeah, I think, I don't think there's enough science in, in society generally. Uh, People are put off sometimes by the language of science. And I wanted to show where you could have a look at an idea that could change the world in which we live. And this is all to do with human action. Some things take a long time. Science takes a long time. It's not always one individual. What Tory wanted to do was to try and create the environment where ideas could happen. But he also wanted an element of social justice. And I think a lot of young people are inspired by that. They want to get involved where they can see that their efforts count for something. And trying to get rid of these dreadful diseases, which you can do for maybe 10 cents, less than a pound. If you can do that and people can live for 70 years and look after themselves, then this is a good way to spend money. It's not just a, you can't say humanitarian thing, but these are good stories and it makes helps to make science understandable. What we want is public engagement and I think that's always something worthy for a historian to try. And, and you couldn't pick a better person, could you, to, to illustrate that point? Couldn't well, pick a better person. He's 80, he's still working. He's the advisor to the, the Secretary General, the Director of WHO. Uh, so still active in the field today and he feels that I think it was one of the things I really liked about Tory and I suppose in in some ways in this way he's like a, a bureaucrat but he used to be the advisor to the Labour Prime Minister of Norway and then when that government ended he was kept on to be the advisor to the new Prime Minister of a different political party so People believed his science, and you need that. You need to be believable. And um, when I talked to uh, Jens Stolt Stoltenberg, he said uh, when Tory was 80, he made a video, and he, he spoke to him on the video at WHO, and he said that Tory had been the most expensive Norwegian in history. They'd spent billions of pounds on vaccines, but he said that was money well spent. Absolutely. Fantastic, isn't it? And let's hope we see more Tories coming down the track again, you know, and to continue. And, and, and he's still active anyway, isn't he? But he's I, still active. Yeah. And, I, and I think 
there are these people out there. Absolutely. They're coming and they, they need their stories to be told. But these decisive moments gives us an entree into uh, global health and an understanding of, of global health. And he, it's not a real biography of him, but it's a biography of, of these events. And I think in, in that way, it'll be a, a good read and we'll be able to, to hold on to the human element within science. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Conrad.